Um, we're in a series called Knowing Jesus in a New Way, and we're looking at stories of um, when Jesus had been resurrected and engages with disciples. And today we're going to read the story of Thomas, and we're going to talk about beach balls, doorways, and the gift of doubt. All right? So here we go. Um, let's stand for the reading of the gospel. And I want you to listen in, and I'm going to read it as best as I can. Don't, we're not passing the peace. We're just standing. Um, uh, I'm going to read it the best I can. And then on your, on your, as you sit, you're going to turn to the person next to you and tell them one thing that really stood out to you in the story. All right? So lots of interaction here this morning as we're in the, in the gospel together. This is from John chapter 20, verse 19. It was still the first day of the week. That evening... While the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands... Put my finger in the wounds left by the nails. Put my hand into his side. I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house. And Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. And Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. This is the word of the Lord. So one thing that shimmered for you, stood out in that story. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, go for it. All right, let's hear a couple of them. What a, just a couple that caught people's attention. No explanation really needed, just kind of what, what caught your attention. Yeah, Justin. Eight days later. Totally. Totally. Eight days between these two gatherings. Yeah, what happened in that week? Good. What else? Yeah, Callie. 
Yeah. Jesus just approached him or initiated that. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so good. Cool. Yeah, here. <laughs> we have a few medical professionals around here that could maybe relate. Yeah. <laughs> Others, Deborah. Yeah. I like that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Jen. Did he need my Altoids that I bring every Sunday? Or, yeah. Right. Totally. Good stuff. So yeah, the disciples are together in this room. The first part of this story. And there's fear all over the passage, right? And closed doors. And um, it's understandable, right? They're, they're, the one they had been following had been crucified because he was a threat to the status quo, both for the religious leaders, but as well as the political leaders. Um, and it, it would not have been an unfair assumption for these disciples to think they were next, that they, they were the next ones that the authorities might come after. And so they're in this room... And they're, they're afraid. And Jesus comes into the room, doors shut, and offers these words of peace or shalom, welfare to you. Um, and their minds have got to be just, you know, expanding or exploding or, you know, confused. Um, and yet in this story, that we're told um, they experience great joy as they've seen the risen Christ in their midst. And in in some ways, this is the way I think we assume faith should work sometimes. Like, we're afraid, we're confused, we kind of huddle up, God comes, gives us what we need, um, and then there's just joy and faith, and everything is good, right? Right? Um, but the story goes on as, as we read and we get, we get these kinds of questions why wasn't Thomas there in the first place like what was he doing you know the next day was he already kind of getting his stuff together to leave was he I mean the, we could go forever was he praying somewhere that what Jesus had said might really happen um Who knows what he was doing, but he wasn't there. And then this week passes and you just kind of feel that. If you you give yourself a chance when you're reading it, you feel those eight days for Thomas. Um, And then they gather again together. um, And all the Gospels talk about like kind of the slowness of faith of the disciples throughout the the life of Jesus. the, The slowness of kind of getting it. But in John, a lot of that gets placed right on, on poor Thomas. 
in this, in this narrative. We talked about Mary as Mary of Magdala as the patron saint of slander on Easter Sunday. Thomas is the patron saint of doubt, right? Or, or disbelief. And it's always has been thought of in a positive way. But I think what Ryan articulated so much, there's so much about Thomas's character that I think we can, we can connect with. If we give our, if we really do some honest thinking. Um, and it's, 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 why wouldn't Thomas have doubt, right? Like, it's understandable. Um, the Godly Place story puts it this way. Why wouldn't he have some doubt? Their minds were stretching, stretching, stretching to be big enough to know Jesus in this new way. And Jesus, knowing his unbelief, when in this company of disciples, like you've all noted, goes to Thomas. And, and he's only giving Thomas exactly what he had given the other disciples the week before, right? It's not like Thomas is asking for more than what the other disciples got. Um, but he goes to Thomas and he gives him what, what he needs. And Thomas, all he could do was to fall on his knees and to cry out, my Lord and my God, which serves as kind of this bookend to the whole Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And here we have Thomas at the end of John proclaiming that Jesus, the Word, was indeed my Lord and my God. It's this powerful proclamation from the mouth of a skeptic from the mouth of one who doubted Um, it's the last like affirmation of who christ is in john it comes from one who doubts Um, thomas is the last like named eyewitness that we get Um, thomas the one who doubts and Jesus' words, when re- you know, depending on how we read those, can feel like, oh, Thomas, you should have you just believed. I think they might be more for, like, us, right? They're more of an invitation for us. As Tom, even Thomas was able to see, and, and their words to us who have lived generations beyond Christ's resurrection and ascension, um, that this faith, this kind of faith, is, is possible, um, through the gift of God, even even without having seen. Um, all of this amazing stuff, though, comes after Thomas has a chance to voice his doubt. And sometimes faith is like that. Sometimes faith, I think we need the freedom um, of questions and doubt to really spring forth and kind of take hold of what our faith is. And so... Vigorous, vibrant faith, I think, comes to us with freedom and environments of freedom, environments where we're invited to question, where we're invited to wonder, where we're invited, invited to, to doubt. Not everyone needs to doubt. Not everyone's kind of emotional response to doubt is the same thing. Our concern around doubt can vary 
when we feel it or experience it. But I do think at some level, most of us, if not all, have moments at least of doubt. And so what I want to do is talk a little bit. It's, it's, some, it's some material that I've shared once before when we were doing the, the series on Jesus questions when he asks Peter why he doubts out on the water. Um, I want to share a little bit uh, about doubt and in this context of like the permission to doubt. The permission to name our doubts um, and share those with one another. Um, doubt is kind of like a beach ball that's underwater, right? You, you, you push a beach ball underwater and you can kind of hold it there. You might even like sit on it and kind of like engage with what's going on above the water. But you always kind of have this sense that if you move this way or that way or maybe think this or that... That doubt, that beach ball is going to fly up and be right in your face, right? Doubt is kind of like that. It's, it's something that we're, we, we work with, and, and it's just there. And so I think it's important to, to acknowledge it. Um, and maybe we think about it more as like a companion, similar to faith. Um, doubt is a, is a part of our faith, and it raises important questions for us. And in a second, we'll talk about how, how it might even be helpful but for today, what we want to say is let's not, let's not kind of stuff our doubt all the time. Let's, let's have this be a community where we can talk about that together. And we will in just a little bit. Um, doubt is challenging, though, because doubt can be experienced as loss. It can be experienced as loneliness. It can be experienced as crisis. And I, I, I think just those words probably connect in some way or another. But when you... What, when you have kind of a mental framework for life that you've known and described as your faith, and then all of a sudden things in life kind of happen, whether that's a, a, an atrocity you experience, questions about injustice, a new friend that gives you a new perspective, maybe just something you think about, you learn in your science class that doesn't just quite fit with what you were told about faith. But for whatever reason, your map starts getting a little bit different than your understanding of reality, and you can feel a little bit of a, of a loss. And as you look back in life, let me, let me tell you, if you haven't had these experiences, you look back and you end up being thankful for that disillusionment because God can piece together new imaginations of God's work in your life and in the world. But when you're going through it, it is hard. It is not easy. Faith is all about our, the way we imagine the world, but it's also about relationships and community, um, ideas about the ultimate future. And so when our faith can feel shaky because of doubt, especially unexpressed, it can be lonely because you don't know, can I talk to people about this? What if I share that? How is that going to go? Um, these relationships I have are built on this kind of living out of faith. What, uh, what happens when I share my doubt? And then finally, it can just feel like a crisis because our identities are wrapped up a lot of times in who God is and God's, beautifully I'd say, in who God is and God's love for us. God's work in the world through Christ. We, we spend a lot of time and energy kind of trying to work that out together, both in community and in our, our everyday lives. And so doubt, if, if unexpressed or denied, can start to take on more power than I think it even deserves and can feel a bit like a crisis. 
But um, Brian McLaren in his book, Faith After Doubt, which some of us were in a book group and read together. If anyone wants to do another one of those, I am game. Let me know. Um, he talks about doubt as a doorway. An invitation to think about it as a, a way of growth and development in our understanding of faith. And he, he talks about um, this doorway. Another, another image he gives is this image of a tree that I've, that I've shared before. In just a minute, I'm going to share four like kind of general stages of faith that he, he offers. But before I do that, he talks about, he gives this tree example because he says that these, for trees to grow, they, they get these rings, right? And these rings kind of grow out and expand. Somebody smarter than me in here could tell me like how old this tree is based on, you know, counting something on there. I don't think it's as easy as just every row, but there's some, some, some way of counting and you can see the age of a tree. But basically, you have these seasons of dormancy in a tree's life where they are like taking in all sorts of nutrients, all sorts of growth, those darker lines around the tree. And then you have these more expansive gaps that are lighter, that are times of growth and development. Um, And it just keeps going out under the tree. And McLaren uses that as an image for our faith. That, that we have these seasons of faith that we move through. And it's not like you, you get to one and then you're done. But, but you kind of keep going. Um, and he describes these different kind of seasons of faith as um, simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and then communion. or har- He calls it harmony. I'm going to call it communion. And in these movements, you move from simplicity to complexity, oftentimes through doubt. Doubt is the doorway to moving through these stages of faith. Um, And when you move from one stage to the next, you transcend that stage. But you also include everything that is good and beautiful about the stage you'd been in. Um, So let me just talk through this real quick and then we're going to share in groups about our own experiences with some of this. So simplicity. Um, Simplicity is is really built on trust. A lot of times a simple trust. Um, Following rules, typically a part of this. Um, McLaren says that we're born into this stage and that many in the world, millions of people, never leave. When they think about faith. um, That this is the stage they're in. um, And that can be a beautiful thing. And that can be a challenging thing. um, And probably everything in between. But in this stage you focus a lot on what is right and wrong. Tend to want to please authority figures. Value is about being right and good. Remaining loyal to some kind of in-group. Leaders are people who teach the right answers. Um, might add, like, leaders are people who deserve trust just because. Just cause. Um, there's a sense that when you're in this stage, you're a part of the good thing or the right thing that's going on, maybe as opposed to the wrong or, or evil thing. Um, our vision of God is of a supreme being, an almighty protector, warrior, patriarch. Um, 
And the strengths of this, this stage are that we tend to be highly committed. People are willing to sacrifice. There's a felt sense of security when it's working for you. Um, and some of the weaknesses are that we can be narrow-minded or become that way and judgmental and maybe have a false um, certainty. There's a lot of beautiful things about a simplicity of faith. Um, and I think we need to stop and just name that. Um, my guess is many of us long for a simplicity of faith um, that connects with our life. Um, and yet there's, time, there's things that happen in our lives that, that cause doubt for just whether or not this container can be the only container or the only season of what our life in faith looks like. I want to say as, and as a church, as we develop kind of ways of being for all of us from birth all the way till the end of our days, um, there's powerful reasons to create simplicity in the vision of, of, a, of, a, of a season of faith that is simple um, for our kids, um, for one another. Um, it's really important in their, in their own development. There's no way to move. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's possible to just be dropped into the communion category and, uh, and avoid all the, the growth and, and development that, that um, is there for us. Um, the second stage is he calls complexity. Um, and as I think about it, it really is about like practicality. Um, we get to this stage where maybe we begin to doubt like, Okay, it's great that we talk about this on Sunday all the time, or it's great that my parents, you know, do my, my, my bedtime, you know, Bible studies for me, or, or, you know, whatever. But at some point, this, this faith has to be practical. It has to be relevant. It's got to connect with all the different things. Maybe if you're a teenager, you're learning in your school, right, about economics and history and politics and science and all these things. You, got, you, you start to try to make connections with faith. And so we focus on making it successful, pragmatic, achieving goals, that, that faith, again, would be effective that, or, or free. Like, we can, we can work this out in ways that we want to. Um, maybe we want to do it in a way that we feel like we're winning or, or again, that's practical. In this stage, McLaren says that leaders are a lot like coaches who can help me succeed, help me be effective as a church or a ministry or as a person of faith. Um, a sense that I'm a part of the, the successful or relevant team. Um, maybe right and wrong isn't quite as important anymore as, as relevant or effective. Um, and God is oftentimes envisioned as an encourager, a guide, um, which I love to think about God that way. Um, and strengths in this stage are enthusiasm and eagerness to learn, an idealism that, that really moves you forward, um, action. And then weaknesses can be super, superficiality, um, a naivete, maybe it's overly pragmatic, overly confident. Um, I think just like stage one, we want to be a church that has aspects of this stage in what we do. Um, I'm really glad the IRC became practical. Like our, our vision to work with people in our community who are immigrants, 
didn't just stay in a, an idea land or, or in a kind of an angsty-like kind of, um, you know, you know what I mean, stand up against those who are, who, are, who are holding immigrants down kind of space. We certainly still hold those beliefs and those are what motivate us. But I'm really glad the IRC got practical and that there's, there's legal counsel being offered to people navigating our legal system. Um, I glad, I'm glad our faith was, is relevant in that way. And so I think it's good to think about ways that our faith together as a community um, can be relevant and tangible. Um, the garden is a beautiful example of relevance, of connection. I might use that in the communion category as well, but um, you know what I'm saying. There, there's, there's important things about this stage too. But at some point when you're in this stage, you, you, you inevitably run up against the big questions of life. What about evil, though? What about the fact that there's a sentiment in our country around immigration that doing legal paperwork is not going to solve? What about the problem of evil in the world and the inequities? Like, what about the big questions? And it can bring us into another season of doubt. That beach ball pops up out of the water. Um, and we, we can move into a stage that McLaren calls perplexity. This is a, a season of faith where we're honest and authentic. or That's a high value for us. Um, as opposed to dishonest and inauthentic. It's an importance around being true to ourselves. Critical in the, in the best of ways. Thinking honestly and carefully about what we see and feel and believe. Values are that we be fair, that we acknowledge bias and mistakes, that we face inconvenient truths about life, um, about God. Our, our maps can begin to shift in this stage. Um, we try to honor everyone's individual viewpoint, which is a lot of work to do. Um, but we do it and we go for it. Leaders are sometimes considered untrustworthy or, or can be minimized. Um, not necessarily because of what they do, but because of the position they hold. There's kind of a, a, a rethinking of just the whole idea of leadership. Um, at worst case, experience has shown people in this season or there can be assumptions that leaders are, are people who have manipulated and controlled the naive and trusting. That's McLaren's words, not my words. Um, there's a sense in this season where we can sense that we're one of the honest, thoughtful, independent ones. And God is a mystery, mysterious, or even myth. Um, and there's some real strength in this season about being honest, about having curiosity, about using critical thinking when we're thinking about faith. This is really important stuff. And McLaren names weaknesses of this stage in that we can be uncommitted to bigger groups because of mistrust or because leaders are involved. Um, we can be cynical, um, suspicious unnecessarily, elitist even. Um, and he even writes depressed because of the energy that kind of often goes with this season of, of faith. 
There's, there's an energy, even in our politics, I would say these days, where we, can, we gain energy around bad news. That's why the news is what it is, right? Um, and there's a kind of a false energy we can gain through bad news or through constant suspicion and, and deconstruction. But it's not an energy that can sustain a life towards, towards love, um, to which we're called. And so when we doubt our way into the next stage, a lot of times it's doubting if this is all there is. Is, is this kind of critical thinking, this suspicion about things? Is this all there is? I kind of doubt it. I think there's a newness out there, a new simplicity, a new naivete. And McLaren says that's when we move into this final stage of communion. Um, and in this stage, we focus on transcending and including all the best of the other stages. Um, we try to be integrative and holistic. We decide, you know what, we're going to make contributions. Even if it doesn't solve all the problems I've been thinking about in stage three, I'm going to, I'm going to just try to make some contributions towards something beautiful and good. Leaders begin to be viewed as fallible people like you and me with contributions to make also in a particular way. In this stage, we long for seeking understanding with others. We long for connection, common good. And God is often viewed as this strong and loving presence, creative wisdom. And John, in the beginning, was the Word. The Word was with God. and can be known through a variety of experiences, prayer, prayerful experiences, time in nature, but also through metaphor. And the strengths of this stage is that it integrates the strengths of the other stages. Um, it, it takes a good look at those other stages we've been through and tries to integrate those things, honestly and openly, um, but maybe with more depth, more connection. And I'd say the weaknesses of this stage are that we're still susceptible to previous weaknesses. And I would say maybe especially the first stage, because you're, you're kind of, when you get into stage four, what, what is communion kind of becomes a new simplicity, because you're not done. The tree keeps growing, Right. And so there can be a susceptible weakness here of, of, of thinking you've, you've arrived when there's another journey maybe to make. So that's a lot for today. And we have 10 minutes. So what I want to do is kind of end with this reminder that each stage transcends, but it includes what's beautiful and good about the others. And so I've got a couple of discussion prompts for you. And you can just pick one. There's, there's three of them. Pick the one that, that comes, comes easily for you to respond to a neighbor or two. Share about a time when your mind, like Godly Place said, or like Thomas, your mind was stretching, stretching, stretching to be big enough to know Jesus in a new way. Um, some point in your life, when was your mind stretching to understand Jesus in a new way? Or name an aspect of each stage, a couple stages that you're trying to include in your life and faith these days. Something from, from a stage, maybe you wouldn't say you're there anymore, but you're trying to include that or want to. And then finally, kind of, kind of similar to the first one, share about a time when you moved from one stage to another. What experiences or influence led to that? 
And what doubts helped you grow? What experiences of doubt maybe were a doorway for you? Um, so they're kind of deep questions. I get that. But have fun. Um, permission to doubt. Um, permission to share and connect. And then we'll come back together. But we don't have a whole lot of time. So somebody's got to be the one to take the deep dive off the diving board quickly. All right? Go for it.